Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by conservative commentator Chris Roebling, Peter Qualia, retired federal law enforcement agent and a strong Donald Trump supporter. And later in the broadcast in hour number two, author Jacob Heilbrunn, author of a new book called America Last, The Right's Century-Long Romance with Foreign Dictators. Good book. Uh, we'll talk about it in hour number two. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base, that as always does, from the Salem Station, uh, AM 560 in Chicago. That's in Elk Grove Village, literally a stone's throw from the city of Chicago. And our phone lines open at 1-800-723-8289. 1-800-723-8289. And again, uh, I want to mention that Obviously, in our first hour tonight, we're going to be talking about what happened in politics last week and, and project a little bit about what happened might happen next with the Republican nomination and other issues pertaining to Donald Trump and to Nikki Haley. Uh, in our second hour, we're going to talk about a foreign policy, U.S. foreign policy. And before you turn off the TV or radio tonight, um, keep in mind that um, it's an important issue. It always is. And in the second hour tonight, we're going to go historically as to how American foreign policy got to where it is today and what is is there any chance that it's going to change. So it's going to be an educational second hour this evening, and Chris Roebling will join me uh, in that broadcast. Um, let's move on to what happened uh, last night. Uh, it did not surprise anybody in South Carolina when uh, Donald Trump uh, beat Nikki Haley, uh, you know, 59% to 39%, a big 20-point victory uh, in her home state. And uh, she vowed shortly after the defeat that she was going to go on, as she said in the past. She's definitely talking about Super Tuesday as her next uh, mark for deciding where she goes next. But again, uh, a trouncing, as was expected, uh, in South Carolina. And uh, I want to begin uh, reaching out to uh, Chris Roebling, who sits across from me. Uh, Chris, you've been a longtime uh, observer of American politics, uh, primarily from the conservative right side. Um is Nikki Haley uh, hurting Donald Trump to any significance now, or is she, is she just a nuisance? I think she's a nuisance, uh, and in a way I think that she helps Trump because she gives Trump somebody, the old expression, somebody to dance with. You know, you can't dan mm -hmm. dance alone. And uh, if she wasn't there, it would just be Trump, and, and I think that would give the media, which despises him, uh, more reason to ignore what's going on because it would be a one-person race. So I think the fact that she's still in it and out there saying things, I, I'm sure she's getting under his skin or under the skin of his true blue supporters, so to speak. But um, I don't think that she's causing any real damage. We have a true blue supporter with us. He's Peter Qualia. He's been a guest on this program a number of times, a retired federal law enforcement officer for uh, well over three decades. He joins us from his home in Pennsylvania. Uh, Peter, what's your reaction? Is is Nikki Haley, uh, is she a pain in the butt, or uh, is she, as Chris suggested, maybe a, a good foil for Donald in the next month and two? 
I actually agree with Chris. I don't think that uh, Nikki Haley's hurting Trump at all. I think Nikki Haley's hurting herself. I think uh, it's uh, I, one of the articles I read said it's been more than 50 years since anyone uh, running lost their own home state and then stayed in the race. So it's, you know, she's hurting herself. I don't think she's hurting Trump at all. I think uh, it's full speed ahead for the Trump campaign. In the polls that were taken in South Carolina yesterday, uh, it indicated that a fairly large percentage, I want to say almost in the 70 percentile range, said these are Republican primary voters, uh, which which may include some independents and Democrats that voted in the Republican primary. I should say that. But they said they would not vote for Donald Trump. Not just if he was convicted. There's no way that they would vote for Donald Trump. So that's a, that's a fairly large number of at least self-identified Republicans, at least many of them self-identified Republicans. Does that worry you, Peter, that you're, 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 you're going to lose maybe a, you know, 25, 30 percent of the Republican vote uh, come November and you're going to need it? I'm, I'm not at all worried about that because I don't believe that most of those quote unquote self-identified Republicans were actual Republicans. I think that there's a lot of Democrats that voted in the Republican primary. Uh, because they're scared to death of a Donald Trump presidency, and they want to do everything they can to derail his uh, his candidacy. Chris Robling, do I you, believe his base is absolutely solid. I want to get uh, Chris's response to that. And it, it isn't so much about the base. I'm not. I'm not challenging the Trump base. I'm talking about the 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 forty percent that are voting against him. Uh, he's going to need a healthy portion of that forty percent if he wants to get reelected. I think. Well, I think Peter raises the point that some of that 40 percent is not actually Republican. They're, right. they're, they're in there for strategic reasons. Right. And uh, I think that's probably true. And I think that we've seen that elsewhere uh, in Iowa and in New Hampshire. And I, I think that um, in general, when you're talking about presidency and you're talking about this big of a rematch, uh, I think. Folks are going to decide, and a lot of people might say, oh, well, I'd never vote for Biden, I'd never vote for Trump, but in this campaign, by the time we get to November, well, of course, early voting will have started in October, but by the time we get to voting, I think people are going to find themselves choosing upsides and voting. I I don't think there's any question that this race will have a hold on national attention unlike any other. So you don't believe the never Trumpers? have a place to go and they will not they will not just sit on their hands or they will vote for Biden. You don't believe that. I think the never Trumpers impact on Trump will be de minimis. The 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 impact of the never Trumpers on Trump will be de minimis because ultimately folks are going to be looking at Biden and another four years of the insanity that we've seen under Joe Biden and whether it's Trump or not. Now, the hardcore never Trumpers are going to be lost, but I don't think there are as, anywhere near as many of those as the media might have us and num- believe. Numerically, I mean, you have to look at the number of never Trumper Republicans right. who will never vote for Donald Trump. And it seems to me that you have to measure that against some of the polls that are also suggesting that his support with African-Americans and with uh, Hispanics is growing. The, so he, he may he may lose the suburban mother, but he's gaining 
with these minorities, uh, maybe a majoritarian vote. And I, I'm not even I'm not even prepared to concede the suburban soccer mom, so to speak, uh, at this point. I think that Trump's uh, indications in 2020 uh, of increasing franchise, increasing support in the African in the minority communities um, were very significant. And I think it is one of the biggest stories of his candidacy so far, with which I'm not entirely comfortable, but right. it is what it is. Uh, but one of the biggest stories of this candidacy, one of the biggest untold stories because of media bias, is the fact that he continues with those minorities. Okay, we've got a pause. 1-800-723-8029. I'm Bruce Dumont. Wherever you're listening from coast to coast, do give us a call. If you're for Nikki Haley, do you want her to keep going? And if so, how far? can tell you about the incredible success we bring to local businesses, but it's better when it comes directly from our satisfied clients. Here's just one example. After searching for a new vendor to handle my search marketing campaign, I contacted Salem Surround after seeing the great work they did for another restoration company in the different market. Their team of experts recommended a mix of multiple tactics designed to get my business the most quality leads at the lowest cost, making my marketing budget stretch further. In our first year partnering with Salem Surround, we recorded our best year to date, and I've told many people how blessed I was to find them. The representative answered the phone every time I called and quickly addressed any questions or concerns I had. Let Salem Surround give you an absolutely free audit of your current marketing and show you what your competition is doing. Then we can come up with a personalized plan that's perfect for your needs. Visit SurroundChicago.com and let our marketing experts help you achieve real success. Remember to visit SurroundChicago.com today. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one -on -one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. 
Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Bruce my back. You're listening to Beyond the Beltway from coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. I want to switch now gears uh, to uh, uh, what is likely to be the, the key issues that will emerge. Um, Nikki Haley has said that the only thing that Donald Trump talks about are his personal problems. And she thinks he's on a, you know, a personal, uh, uh, you know, crusade here for, to save himself. But I'm wondering, Peter, and I'm going to start with you, uh, I would think that uh, illegal immigration is maybe the single and maybe the only real issue that's going to move people. But as you go about Pennsylvania talking with the people who uh, you're seeking to support you in your effort to become a delegate for Trump, uh, what other issues are they talking about? I, uh, to be honest with you, Bruce, I, I was going to chime in with uh, Chris on the last segment. I, I think that the uh, the largest uh, issue we have in terms of uh, in Pennsylvania and actually throughout the country is the mail-in ballots. I think that I don't believe that Donald Trump can lose an honest election. The question is uh, whether or not we're going to have an honest election because, uh, you know, mail-in balloting, early voting it, uh, lends itself to a tremendous amount of fraud. Uh, that also dovetails into the illegal immigration issue because uh, Pennsylvania is one of many states that has motor voter registration, which means that as soon as you land here and apply for a driver's license, you can uh, register to vote. There is no direct proof of citizenship required. So there's, you know, the government's estimates are that 7 million uh, illegals came in over the last uh, three years. I would uh, argue that that number is much higher. Uh, we have no idea who's here, and a, a lot of them are registered to vote. And so I want, I want to make problem. sure I want to make sure that I, I heard you correctly. So in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, if you get a driver's license, uh, which which they you've got to get some identity, uh, you know, prescribed at that point. I mean, you don't you don't just get a driver's license, do you, Peter? Sure, you can. You go and you just apply. Do you apply for a driver's license? At which point you can register to vote. And then when you get that, do you say you, you automatically are voted? Right. Well, no, automatically. No, you, no they have to give you registered. an opportunity to register. Okay. Under they, motor correct. voter, federal issue, motor voter, and they don't ask any questions right. about issue, whether you're legal or not. The issue is, uh, you know, there's been Supreme Court decisions on this matter that direct proof of citizenship to register to vote is unlawful in the United States. So, you know, I mean, think about it. When we registered to vote, we just, it was on the honor system, right? I mean, it was just assumed that uh, if you weren't a citizen, you would not register to vote. That's not the case anymore. So we, and there's, you can't require proof. So if you present yourself as someone who's, uh, who's legally entitled to vote, no one's gonna question that. No one's gonna look into that. So it's it's I'm sure that they're voting. If, even if they don't know they're voting, somebody is 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 voting uh, harvesting ballots on their behalf. Yeah, Chris, it, By the way, we should mention for those listening around the country, you used to be a commissioner of the of the city of Chicago uh, election board. Correct. I, I am a, a lot form- of times in elections. I am a former election administrator. Right. And uh, I I think there are two issues here to which Peter is appropriately pointing, uh, one of which is interruption in the chain of custody of a live ballot, 
right? That's what you have with early voting sometimes. And that's what you have with uh, illegal assist- illegally assisted voting, right? That's what you have with ballot drop boxes. And you've got ballot live ballots that are out of the chain of possession, uh, which normally would be the um, election administrator and the qualified voter. And that's where he, Peter, appropriately points to the second issue, and that is the pollution of the voter rolls. And um, I would say that I, I'm, I'm sad to report, uh, and I hope that I'm wrong this year. I hope that I'm being proven wrong as I speak. But in general, down through the ages, uh, and I go back several ice ages, as you know, mm-hmm. um, Republicans have been woefully uninterested in the full and fair administration of elections. And whereas this has been a the lifeblood of the Democratic Party, the Republicans have blissfully and I think blithely and I think wrongly tripped along the light fantastic ignoring the basics of election have administration. They, have, have they done that, in your, in your opinion? Have they done that, uh, again, because of just, uh, you know, laziness? Or have they done that because they may know that Republicans do many of the same things only in different jurisdictions? Uh, well, I do think that there are Republicans who do the, quote, same things in different jurisdictions, unquote, but I think it's mainly laziness. I can tell you that when I was commissioner of elections in the city of Chicago— uh, I, I, you know, they're, they're partisan. Uh, the, the commissioners are chosen on a partisan basis. So I was the Republican commissioner. There were two Democrat commissioners. And I met every year with the uh, chairman of the RNC. Haley Barber was chairman for one year when I was there. And we had another, a couple, I don't know, Michael Steele or somebody else came in. And I, I met with all of them. Mm-hmm. And in, 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 because they all come through Chicago for a fundraiser here, right. an event there or something like that. And in every case, I said, look, I've been an activist Republican since 1979, 1978. Uh, and, and I have to tell you, um, you know, I'm, my eyes have been opened by election administration and we're just not participating. And we need we have to start with an association of Republican election administrators. Every time they turn to a 23 year old, you know, eager beaver from Washington and Lee University yeah. And they say, yeah, I, I, want a, I want a memo on that. Get me a memo on that on Monday or Tuesday when we're back in Washington. And I want you to send a copy to Roebling here. And I would say, oh, that's great, Chairman. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I, nothing ever happened. Nothing ever happened. Is that one of the reasons, Peter, in your view, is that one of the reasons why Rona McDaniel is soon to be out at the RNC was because she didn't follow through on some of these suggestions and has been slow to respond to uh, uh, you know, voting by mail and some of, some of the other things that uh, concern Donald Trump? I, I like to think so, but uh, to just uh, dovetail into what Chris said, I'm having the same exact problem right now with a state party person. I, I, I attended a meeting on mail-in ballots uh, just two weeks ago. 
the person guaranteed me that they were going to be able to press a button, get me the information that I need to put together teams of people to go precinct by precinct, door to door, to sign up mail-in ballots, and I'm still waiting. So I, I, I don't understand where the disconnect is. I, I sometimes wonder, you know, back in the day when I was doing customs, we used to joke that the Colombian cartels were really running the customs service because of the drug problem. I'm starting to wonder if the Democratic Party is running the get out the vote for the Republicans because they just seem almost paralyzed. We're in the 11th hour and I just we can't get them off the mark. Is it? So but, but I, I hope but, but do you come down, in next. Peter, though, do you come down to ever at, at one point and say, you know what, we can't beat them at this. So we're going to join them. We have to beat them. We don't. Well, it's we have to look. We have to turn out in, in Wayne County, which is one of the reddest counties in Pennsylvania last mm -hmm. year, which was an off year election. Uh, we outnumber uh, Republicans outnumber Democrats two to one over here. We only turned out 35 percent of our voters. Not a single statewide Republican won in Pennsylvania last year. And right. one of the reddest counties in the state only turned out 35% of their voters. That's unacceptable. We have to turn out 100% to, to counteract what's happening in places like Philadelphia, what, Pittsburgh, and Harrisburg. And the party needs to make that happen. What, what does it say, uh, taking this that story and, and, and blowing it out, what does it say about Republican primary voters all over the country and you've heard me say this the last couple of weeks. I don't know what the percentage of turnout was yesterday in South Carolina. I, I assume they can figure a way as to how many real Republicans showed up. But you know what? In in Iowa, it was 14%. Right. Only 14%. After all this hype, you know, how Republicans in Iowa were strong and all that. I mean, no one came. Republicans, we're facing a, a cultural issue. It's a very cultural issue. Republicans, first of all, are day of voters. And the problem is what I'm trying to communicate to them is that we keep waiting for a cavalry to come over the hill on Election Day that's just not going to arrive. And by the time we realize we're in trouble, it's too late. By the time Election Day dawns, the Republican is starting out 500, 700,000 votes behind. And that's just too much to make up on Election Day. Now, my belief is that many of those ballots are probably unlawful ballots. You know, but but you know, Republicans are not going to break the law. We have to try to just turn out our people to counteract what's going on on the Democrat side. Well, but it's and, a very cultural issue. And, but is it also... Go ahead, Chris. I want to, well, you know, I, I, I to think respond I, to my point. I don't, I don't disagree um, with what Peter just said, but I, you know, it, it, let me let me tell you a story about Trump. Trump fired his campaign manager in about April of 2020. Which one? Who are we talking? About? I forget the guy's name, but he was a very intelligent guy, and he had, he knew a lot about election administration, and he had guided Trump through 2016. Okay, uh, and he he. He had a lot of expertise in this area. Is this Lewandowski? Not Lewandowski. No, the guy after Lewandowski. The guy from Florida who was running around, you know, chasing his wife in his underwear. I mean, he had real problems. And the problem wasn't that he shouldn't be fired. I'm not saying he shouldn't have been fired. I don't know the situation exactly. But the guy but had problems. But I, Yeah, in their housing development. Oh, but, okay, okay. But uh, uh, the, 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 the problem here is the baby got thrown out with the bathwater. And the entire election security uh, the election security program was tossed out with that guy. And Trump, and, and this is one of my vast frustrations with Trump, for all of his capability, all of his, you know, very few people in the world can build a 90-story building. He's one of them. He knows how to do it. He does it extremely well. He understands what a plan is. He understands what blueprints are. He and, understands he fire, and he fires incompetent people. He fires incompetent people, but... 
in the per, in the case of 2020, he left all those chips on the table and he basically, you know, walked away. And then we had the debacle. And, and uh, you know, Peter's absolutely right. I mean, it, what is it now? It's half past February. We're getting into March. It's getting too late. Okay, we got to pause. 1 800 723 8029. We've got some callers on the line. 1 800 723 8029 from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont. This is Hugh Hewitt for townhall.com. Russian pro-democracy activist Vladimir Karamurza is the name you need to know right now. Karamurza is the highest profile of Russian dissidents left after the murder of Alexei Navalny. Karamurza is a permanent resident of the United States. His wife and children are American citizens. Karamurza has survived two poisoning attempts. He is now imprisoned in one of the Russian dictator's Gulag 2.0 camps. Putin doesn't worry much, if at all, about what President Biden thinks about this because President Biden talks a tough game but does nothing when his bluff is called. Navalny was Biden's, quote, red line with Putin. And like Obama's red line with Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad's use of chemical weapons, dictators often ignore both presidents and pay no price. British journalist Douglas Murray wrote in the Telegraph, quote, Under President Biden, America has been seen continuously as being in retreat from the rest of the world. Murray was right. We're watching a downward spiral. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont, we are back, and it's this portion of our program where we ask each of our guests 
to introduce themselves briefly. And Peter, we're going to go to you first to give us a little of uh, your uh, resume verbally. Well, my very short story is I have a uh, 30, just about 30 year career in law enforcement, mostly federal, back in a time before the federal government was weaponized against the population of the United States. Um, I retired some years ago. I moved to Pennsylvania. I'm um, dabbled in a couple of different things. Currently, I am um, highly involved in politics. I am running to be a delegate for Donald Trump in the Pennsylvania 8th Congressional District. So if any of you are in the Pennsylvania 8th, look for my name on your ballot. Peter Qualia. There you go. With a Q. Best of luck. (laughs) uh, Thank you. Chris uh, Chris Roebling, tell us who you are. Hi, everybody. Chris Roebling here. Uh, I've had the privilege of going on with Bruce for many years. I think it goes back to about 1986 or 85. Yeah, 40 coming up to somewhere 40 in years, there. Yeah. Coming up on 40 years, yeah. So we're get and and we're just getting good at it too. <laughs> now, when did you lose your hair? Now, you, you for those on radio, you don't have a lot of hair. I don't have but a lot of I hair. I don't remember you ever having a lot of hair. Did you have a lot of oh, hair? Oh, I had hair on Channel 11 on, on Callaway. I still had some hair. Okay. In the early days of Callaway. I'll yeah. have to look at Back the, the look, 87, look at those, 88. Yeah, yeah. Not uh, too much, but well, some. Uh, by the way, l- let me mention that in the second hour, our guest is going to be Jacob Heilbrunn, and he is author of a book called America Last. The Rights Century Long Romance with Foreign Dictators. Again, it's a, it's a, it's a great book. I think you'll find it very interesting and historic, and uh, we will get into that. So stay right with us. It's a, uh, it's a learning hour. We'll all learn a little bit in the second hour. Uh, ben in El Paso, Texas, joins us tonight, listening to us on uh, KTSM. Go ahead. You're on the air, Ben. Yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Um, okay. Um, 80% of Americans still listen to radio. Yes. Thank the God. top three radio broadcasting companies are iHeartRadio, Odyssey, and Cumulus. Odyssey has just been taken over by George Soros, and the FCC has just been given the green light for a group in Singapore to take over Cumulus. Hmm. What do you think is going to happen with are, how know, how is the how how is the group in election. Singapore allowed to buy U.S. stations? I don't investment? know how. I okay. have no idea, but so, it, it's it's in the news. So your your point is your 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 point is that because the conservatives are uh, are losing uh, their somewhat monopoly over the last several years on conservative talk, now that liberals will be moving in and taking over the stations, uh, there will be less conservative talk. On radio, is that your concern? I believe so. It would yes. be my it would be my concern uh, as well. Uh, this station is owned by Salem Media. It's distributed by Salem Media, so I hope we're okay because Salem Media is not only a great company; it's a very conservative country uh, company and believes in the country. And so uh, I would hope that Salem continues to grow. Uh, and I would I would share your concern that. Uh, uh, Anything that George Soros is involved in is not going to be good for the United States. Have you heard about this? I've heard about it, but I, I don't. You know, sometimes when these when these political things take place, uh, there is not an immediate uh, difference in the sound of a station because they are concerned that the FCC <clears throat> will come to them and say, well, why, why are you, you know, turning over a, a format that's very successful 
And it obviously, at least in the city of Chicago, uh, you know, the big station here is, uh, it had, they have a number of stations, but the big one is, is the WBBM, which is the news station. So when you take over the news station, uh, you know, obviously uh, the news can be slanted. And, you know, you may but not, also, but, but I'm but worried Odyssey about it. Odyssey has, it is de- definitely true that Odyssey oh, I, I don't has been taken over it. by George Soros. I, I, and, I think that George Soros and, you know, is not going to have any the thing about the FCC may or may not go through. Ben, Ben, I, I think George yeah. Soros is not going to have, within very short time, anybody who is right of center and they're on the air <clears throat> on his group of stations, they'll be fired. And... You know, folks well, are going to be listening. Also... Folks will be listening to their favorite radio, right-wing radio people, on the internet instead of on a you know uh, a ground-based radio station. You're absolutely right. Let, I agree let, with let, that. Let me thank you for that call. But let me let me ask you this question: uh, You were concerned that uh, a radio station that you might listen to uh, is controlled by liberals. And the sound of that station is going to be changed. How do you feel for those listeners who are out there, and we hear from them from time to time on this program, who feel that there has been too much conservative uh, doc- uh, indoctrination uh, by conservative broadcasters over the last three decades, and that has created almost a monopoly of thought on American talk radio stations? So it's a free market. They're, they're totally supposed to be a free yeah, market. But and, they, right. and 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 under the free market, those you know, those companies that are actually listening to their their listeners are are going to be uh, you know they're, they're going to be on the air. But left wing talkers and, and left wing talkers have proven to be very unpopular with listeners. Right. And they can't support the economics. And right-wing talkers have proven to be very popular with listeners, other things being equal. And so um, it's simply a question of what the the audience wants. And Soros has got so much money, he doesn't care. And he'll run the things at a loss or he'll run them at break-even. And he'll be happy to deny the platform to folks who think differently than he does because he's an authoritarian. Like, like the entire left that he has helped to create. Mm-hmm. And the Chinese are going to do the same thing. Well, I don't know so, that Singapore I mean, equals... Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. There are many people in Singapore who are not happy with the People's Republic of China and certainly not happy with the Communist Party of the People's Republic of China. So, so Singapore, I don't know that that is enough definition. Um, there are a lot of people in Singapore. Singapore was profoundly anti-communist, you know, mm-hmm. and, and remains, I, it, it's not a, it's not a pro-communist spot. Do there you, are many Chinese there. Do you believe that, that the United States government should ban TikTok in the United States, George? No, I do not. Okay. I believe, the, I, I think it's, you know, that's the beauty of our country. We have freedom of speech. You, you, you know, if you want to ban that in your household and everything, that's fine. And that's what a lot, a lot of parents should be doing. But if it turn, but if it's there and they are allowing their children to listen to it, I mean, it, I, it's a matter of freedom of speech. Well, but I'm not for TikTok, but I do believe that, you know, 
that uh, would, know, would even you, the even the worst hate speech should be allowed. Would George Soros argue that uh, that basically that's what uh, he's doing? That he he should be treated fairly, and uh, just because he has a liberal or progressive uh, point of view, uh, he should not be prohibited from owning radio stations. Or TV stations. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that's probably going to is right. Yeah. And, but the problem is there is that you know I, I mean it is a matter that I think people should know about this. Okay. Right. So they know what what they're getting. Okay. Right. I mean, uh, yeah. And uh, I think that uh, most people probably don't know that mm-hmm. you know that that's what's going to happen this election cycle. No, none Which of is us very have, important, right? None of us have any reason to support George Soros. There's no question about that. So, yeah, I mean, he's if, if, thing, if one, he's if he's free to buy a group of stations, we're free not to listen to that to any member right. of that group. And right. I, I right. hear you about exactly. and there's plenty of alternatives now. Yeah, there, yes, yeah, there there's are plenty of alternatives on the internet podcast. This absolutely, it's not it's yeah. not the same as you know broadcast television where you had two, four, seven. You have a lot of alternatives, and, oh, and yeah. as Chris rightly pointed out, which I was going to point out, there's nobody listens to uh, liberal talk radio. That's why there's no liberal talk radio hosts. So yeah, what do you think? Well, what do you one think last of, thing, what do if you I th- can. No, but I want to th- th- answer the question that, that Peter just raised, as did Chris. That uh, if if someone owns the stations, I mean, are they going to own stations that nobody listens to, or do you think that 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 he doesn't care if anybody listens to his stations as long as he's pumping out uh, you know progressive garbage? Again, eighty percent of Americans still turn on, on their radios and listen to what's on their radio, but this... they don't turn. But they don't turn on liberal talk radio. It, it, well, it has been tried on several occasions. And it doesn't work because the audience either doesn't like it or the liberals have not been able to come up with an engaging personality they're, they're, that people like. Their problem, but, but it, as long as if, if we've got it, I'll just say very quickly, their problem is insincerity. If they ever tell the truth, people would run screaming from their radio. And that's why they never tell the truth. But when they don't tell the truth, they're insincere. Rush Limbaugh, if I may invoke the great, El Rush, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, you could say a lot of things about him. No one could say he was insincere. No one. His greatest critic would not say that he was insincere. He always told the truth about where he st- stood, and that garnered an audience, the largest audience, right? If, if you get some uh, MSNBC host and you put him in front of a radio microphone and he starts telling the truth, no one's listening. Okay. All right, thanks for your call, uh, 1-800-723-8289. We've got other callers coming in, and we'll go to those when we come back. Uh, you're listening to Beyond the Beltway. Peter Qualia is here. He is a Trump supporter. He's running for delegate in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the 8th Congressional District. And Chris Roebling, international consultant and a conservative commentator, joins us in studio. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away.
Visit Dennis Prager. Sign up today for an unforgettable experience in Israel this October. Mike Gallagher and I are traveling to the Holy Land on the Stand with Israel tour with our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours. This trip of a lifetime to Israel is one you don't want to miss. Register today before it's too late at StandWithIsraelTour.com, StandWithIsraelTour.com, or call 855-565-5519, 855-565-5519. You're smart, you're busy, and don't have time to waste on the mainstream media cycle. Salem News Channel breaks that cycle. Topics that matter from hosts worth watching. Dinesh D'Souza, Andrew Wilkow, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. Salem News Channel, not like the other guys. Watch anytime on any screen, free, 24-7. Find everything you need to know at snc.tv. That's snc.tv. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. <laughs> the dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry. We're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Further information, the uh, Soros uh, buy into uh, Audacity, buy out of Audacity, uh, they had $1.9 billion in debt. So he took that uh, over as part of what his plan is. And again, this has got to be approved uh, by the FCC. And just to pick up on something that that, that Chris had said, uh, where he thinks that this may be a short-term thing, keep in mind what's happening around the country, at least in talk radio, uh, and that is uh, the, the potential rebellion against uh, Soros-dominated prosecutors. And as he may see that the public opinion is turning against his pet 
progressive progressive uh, prosecutors for letting mm-hmm. you know, gangsters out. Um, this may be a way for him to to short circuit a public dialogue over that, and that oh, yeah. may it be, may be his way of inve- of protecting his investment. Could be something. Anyway, we've got callers on the line. Zachary in Austin, Texas, KLBJ. Go ahead. Zachary, are you there? Yeah, hello. Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Thank you, sir, for taking my call. You're welcome. So, um, yeah, I I was going to um, say that uh, I live in Texas, but I'm originally from Long Island. So, you know, I kind of relate to Trump and um, in more of like a, a close way, I guess, than people that are scattered around the country that are just kind of conservatives and they vote for Trump because yeah. I feel that. Trump represents kind of like the old school New York character, and um, that represents me. So I'm happy okay. that he's running again. But I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't do um, what like these things, like the little the mail-in balloting and getting people signed up. And uh, I think that um, to make this work in a way that we're not coming back here in four years and having like a problem, you need to do it the right way. You need to show up on election day, like it says in the Constitution, and vote like that. Otherwise, who cares? I mean, it's just like, you know, it's like a team that wins one playoff series in the NHL playoffs, and then they get swept in the second round. I mean, Zachary, no one remembers that. Zachary, however, Zach. what, you, what, you're, what you're describing, and I'm going to go to Peter in a minute, what you're describing is the ideal circumstance. But if the ideal circumstance is not happening for a variety of reasons and the opposition has figured out how to use the laws of a state or create new laws in a state that allow for mail-in balloting and that is working for them, why would you totally turn your back on that idea and basically try to reinforce a system or a policy that a lot of people no longer find convenient and want to participate in. That's my answer. Peter Qualia's got a comment as well. Peter. Zach, I, I'm originally from the other island, Staten Island, so I feel you. I'm also you know, not at all offended by Trump. I'm, I, I feel very comfortable with him. I completely agree with you on the mail-in balloting. However, you have to realize that um, as a result of COVID, many, uh, all governments, all state and local governments in uh, the country basically adopted some form of mail-in balloting or early voting. And we cannot change that back until we win. And if we do not start fighting with the same weapons that the Democrats are fighting with, we're never going to win again. So I absolutely agree with you. I'm fighting the culture here where I live because many, many Republicans refuse to, to uh, you know, they, they proudly tell you we are day of voters, but the numbers are telling different story so you know we are not turning out we have to embrace mail-in balloting until we have to get so good at it that the democrats are screaming to make it illegal okay and then once we get that good at it we can change it back but we have to win first and until we win we can do nothing and we cannot win unless we embrace mail-in balloting and and by the way if you if you're not embracing it it also affects uh congress and uh, given the fact that we have like a what a one vote majority in the House uh, or two votes, it's not likely that Congress is going to deal with this issue 
because it's a state issue. Absolutely. Well, really is a state Elections issue. a state issues. Absolutely. It's right. the Pennsylvania legislature that basically screwed us in this state. I mean, and, and, and until we win it back, we need to win back a majority of both houses and the governorship before we can change it. So, uh, I mean, it, it, we have to embrace this. We have to fight with the weapons that we have at our disposal and, and, and to dig our heels in and say, I don't, I don't like it either. I mean, look, if it was up to me, we would have day of voting on paper okay. with uh, no early voting at all. But, you know, we have to, to, to deal the, the we have to play the cards we've been dealt. Well, it just and let me I, at the risk of beating a dead horse here, let me <clears throat> let me just point out. I was commissioner of elections in the early 1990s in the city of Chicago. It was Bill Clinton and George Mitchell and a couple of Republicans who voted with the Democrats for National Voter Registration Act, NVRA, which is well known as Motor Voter. As soon as Motor Voter was passed, there was an implementation sequence that required a lot of meetings with the Federal Election Commission. Now, the Board of Election Commissioners of the City of Chicago opposed Motor Voter. Almost all election administrators opposed Motor Voter. This is not well remembered because people don't care, but it's true. Um, David Orr Bruce, actually supported it. Mm. He was one of the very few election administrators in, in the country. Yep. And he was the Cook County clerk. So anyway, um, when we went to the implementation sessions, there was an unremitting demand from Project Vote that they would win in implementation everything that they had lost in the legislation. So all of the provisions about allowing anybody to vote under any circumstance, you know, uh, rain, snow, mm -hmm. sleet, dark yeah. of night, etc., that had not made it into the bill, they then wanted the Federal Election Commission to adopt as part of the implementation. Point here is this. They've been at it for more than how many years? 40 years. 40 years. 30, 30 plus years. Where are we? We uh, There are some Republicans who two elections ago didn't know about um, uh, mail-in ballots, et cetera. We got to wrap it up. On uh, that moment, we do have to wrap it up. Uh, Chris Roebling will continue with us in hour number two. Peter Qualia, thank you very much for joining us in hour number one, talking about uh, Donald Trump. And uh, we'll have you back on again uh, as you uh, uh, seek to be a uh, delegate to the convention coming up in beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin, come this summer. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly with our next guest, Jacob Heilbrunn, author of America Last. You don't want to miss it. back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, Chris Roebling continues with me in hour number two, and we're also joined by Jacob Heilbrunn. He is author of a new book called America Last, The Right's Century-Long Romance with Foreign Dictators. He is also the editor of National Interest and a fellow senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, and he joins us uh, uh, from uh, his home in Washington. Uh, 
Thanks very much for being with us on Beyond the Beltway. And uh, Chris Roebling is going to join me. He also has uh, read the book, and uh, uh, we'll have a good discussion. And for those out in radio TV land, uh, keep, we're going to be talking about American foreign policy, the history of American foreign policy. How did we get to where we are? And uh, the, the, the steps in the trail are extremely interesting, and uh, Jacob is going to take us through that uh, story tonight, and uh, I know Chris has got some comments as well. Uh, I think that when it comes to U.S. foreign policy and America's recent wars, um, most Americans know little, if anything, about the First World War. I think it's the least studied of the wars. Uh, very few movies have been made about it. Most people don't know about it. And I want to begin our story tonight by having you describe for us, Jacob, uh, Kaiser Wilhelm. People may remember that name as a German chancellor who was in, around monarch. in World Monarch yeah, around <laughs> monarch. in World War One. Everybody knows Adolf Hitler, but a lot of people may not know may not, uh, may not know Kaiser Wilhelm. So let's begin by talking about Kaiser Wilhelm because uh, he is a uh, he's a part of your story. Glad to be here. Kaiser Wilhelm was the Kaiser Wilhelm II, his father, Kaiser Wilhelm I, unified Germany. His, his father was the monarch of Prussia, which unified Germany in 1871 by finally defeating France. And Kaiser Wilhelm II inherited this Prussian militarized autocracy and proceeded to run rampant with it until Kaiser Wilhelm was born with a shriveled left hand and had an inferiority complex about the British. He was related to Queen Victoria. His mother was the daughter of Queen Victoria. And Kaiser Wilhelm resented the British and had a somewhat megalomaniacal personality based on that inferiority complex. And when he ascended to the throne, he jettisoned the more cautious approach of his predecessors. And Germany, which was booming industrially, declared that it had to, quote, find its place in the sun. And it wanted to become a great power that had control over Central Europe. And the result of the Kaiser's erratic rule, and including waging genocidal war in Namibia, what we now call Namibia, in Africa as part of the colonial expansion of Germany, the Kaiser played a significant, if not dominant, role in launching World War I. And I talk in my book about how Prussia was the premier illiberal autocracy in Europe at that time. And what happened? Which side did many on the American right say that we should stand by during World War I? They supported Imperial Germany, not Democratic Great Britain. And who were these people? I focus, there were many, there were millions of German Americans in the United States. And without accusing them of, of dual loyalty, they were not engaged in treasonous behavior. But they certainly uh, had a loyalty to Germany and they, they aspired for Germany to win the war and for the United States to stay out. 
And I focus on two people, one H.L. Mencken, the famous journalist from Baltimore, who was himself a descendant of German immigrants, mm -hmm. and another man named George Sylvester Vierick, who was a well-known publicist and quite famous in the United States at that time. And both of them didn't simply argue that America should take a neutral stance. They were supportive of Kaiser Wilhelm and denounced the British. And George Sylvester Vierick was active in American politics. There are a lot of parallels between what's going on with Russia today and, and Germany back then. George Sylvester Vierick was funded by the German government. There was major spying and, and uh, a lot of uh, terrorism that was executed by the Germans during World War I, including in 1916, there was a huge explosion at Black Tom Island that was engineered by the Germans. So we had numerous German spies in the country. And George Sylvester Vierick, a prominent conservative, took the side of Germany and helped conspire on behalf of it during World War I. Who were the political leaders that were affected by, uh, by these two guys? How was this? How was this working its way? Obviously, uh, it was working its way through intelligentsia. But who were the political leaders that were, uh, pr pr uh, you know, presenting this soft on Germany perspective to the American voters? Well, it was. It was a. It, what it did was it put Woodrow Wilson into a predicament because he was running for re-election in 1916 against Charles Evans Hughes, mm -hmm. who was a former Supreme Court justice. Both of them wanted to woo the German vote. And so Sylvester Vierick saw himself as a potential, as a tried, reached out to both campaigns and tried to influence and tried to influence the politics of the time. And there were meetings, there were a few congressmen in, in Congress who were interested in these issues, but it was primarily in the presidential election of 1916 that this became a hot button issue. And Wilson campaigned on America first. He introduced that term in 1916. Mm -hmm. And that's when Wilson declared that he would not take the United States into war because he, he thought he needed the German vote. Chris Roebling also joins us. He's got a <clears throat> question or comment for you. Well, I, I think, uh, Jacob, it's nice to, to, to uh, chat with you and, you know, congratulations on the new title and, uh, Hope it hope it does very well. I, I'll say. To, uh, let me step back a little bit from the First World War. I'll get back to that in a second. But you know, I mean, I I, I I want you to know that sitting here in Chicago and and reading this as I have, and sort of looking at the state of conversation in the in the country today, I I hope you will accept what I'm about to say with some degree of equanimity, and that is the following. This book could have been, you know, entitled America Last, the left's century-long romance with foreign dictators. Or it could have been called America Last, America's right and left and their century-long romance with foreign dictators. And the point that I'm making is that, um, you know, there, there are sociological or sometimes familial or sometimes ethnic relationships. And I think the First World War, generally speaking, is not a terrific exemplar of any of this because it was really a death throw of the, you know, balance of power, European post-Congress of Vienna sort of structure. 
Um, but I, I look forward to talking to you about the other conflicts in the 20th century and the other dictators whose names you use. So that's the lead up. We still don't know what his question is, but it was a long preamble. We'll be back with, the, with Jacob's response and we continue. I'm Bruce Dumont. As a local business owner, you get called every week by marketing companies. We get it. We have hundreds of satisfied customers. Here's what a satisfied client recently said. Open enrollment is going great. We're hitting record numbers. Thank you so much for this report. It really is amazing to see how the marketing is really shaping our enrollment around the city. If you're a local business and ready for the next step, visit surroundchicago.com right now. Our experts are ready to help you take your marketing to the next level. Visit surroundchicago.com today. In the new video series, Fault Lines, Professor Vody Bauckham examines the threat of woke social doctrine versus biblical justice. The religion of anti-racism has no redemption. We have to be right about what God requires in this critical moment. Discover the fault lines beneath today's cultural divide. What God are you trying to appease? Fault Lines, the 10-part video series and essential six-part study guide. Available at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and uh, we're going to continue now with uh, Jacob Heilbrun, and uh, he's so, going to get his... You wanted me to ask a question. I am, but I wanted to set up that <laughs> Jacob got the long... He got Sorry three minutes, about that. He got three minutes to think about your question, 
but your preamble was you didn't what, like the title it, of his book. But you have a question for him. It's, so let's it's go not to that I don't question. like the title, Jacob. Let's just go to the question. Jacob, <laughs> let me ask you. Was there any reason for this book other than Orange Man Bad? Absolutely. Okay, what is I it? And why didn't you write one about the left and its love affair with okay. X number of dictators? Go ahead, Jacob. Easy and murderers. Question <laughs> Easy question to answer because my friend Paul Hollander, who's a social sociologist, he's de deceased, but he wrote the classic text in, in the early 1980s called Political Pilgrims. And he looked at fellow travelers who went to the Soviet Union, Mao's China, Cuba, Vietnam, it's like a 700 page book. I have written articles about, I wrote a 10,000 word piece on Walter Durante 25 years ago, the New York Times correspondent who covered up not only the Ukrainian famine, but defended the Moscow show trials. Frankly, the topic has been beaten into death, but it's, it's actually worse than you suggest because um, what, what these fellow travelers did was they went to the Soviet Union and hailed Stalin's uh, Soviet Union as a paradise and a model for the United States in the late 1930s when it was at its worst. The same thing happened in Mao's China during the Cultural Revolution. The leftists flocked in the 1960s and proclaimed that a new paradise had developed on Earth and that it was a model for the United States. What fascinated me and the reason I wrote this book is because I have episodically followed the right. I wrote a piece in 1996 about apartheid and conservatives. And then I sort of dropped the topic. What, what I realized with the Trump phenomenon is that there is in fact a parallel universe of conservatives. It's not that conservatives are unique. I had always assumed, well, conservatives are happy with the United States. So they're not gonna be running to a foreign dictatorship to proclaim that this is somehow the utopia that the United States should emulate. But as I researched for this book, it occurred to me, in fact, they were just as gullible and credulous as the left. I don't, you see, I don't, I, as a conservative, I started off, you know, I was raised by two New, New, New Deal liberals, okay? I was raised in a Democratic home. And, you know, the first politician I ever saw was John F. Kennedy at the Yale Bowl in 1960. That was the first guy I ever saw as a little kid. Um, so I have a lot of Democratic background. You mentioned Wilson. He put my grandfather on the United States District Court after my grandfather served in Congress as a Democrat from central Illinois. So I, I, I'm, not, um, I'm not one of these guys who was raised in a Russell Kirk-believing household, if you know what I mean. Having said that, my view has been there are fringe elements on the left who, like Sean Penn going to Cuba and doing exactly what you describe about folks who went to Mao's China or folks, you know, George Bernard Shaw sitting at the Astoria Hotel in St. Petersburg, or actually it was in Moscow, and saying there's no hunger in Russia. Okay, so I, I'm with you there. And there are some kooky, quote, conservatives, unquote, who stupidly did similar things with respect to uh, uh, right of center, you know, Franco or Pinochet or things like this. But are they really the story, the kooky left or the kooky right? Is that the story or is the story today one of 
real rejection by the populists of the elite structure of which you are a made member, you know, with your Atlantic Council and, you know, all of your sort of East Coast elite sort of qualifications, right? So isn't the real story today the rejection of the elites? Let's let him answer. Yeah. Uh, First of all, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so I am not a longstanding member of the East Coast elite. But um, no, if if you look back at what what I'm discussing, it is, in fact, this populist insurgency has been a perennial element in the Republican Party. I am not trying to argue that this is the tradition on the right. I'm saying it is a tradition, and it may actually be, in some ways, a more consistent one on, on the right. You've, you constantly had 1920s, 1930s, the Republican Convention in 1940 in Philadelphia in July, where you have the Main Street Republicans are incensed that Wendell Wilkie becomes the presidential nominee. So there's been a constant battle in the GOP between these two wings. What's happened is that the populist wing has won out. But no, I'm not inventing a history or just taking a few fringe figures. They were influential in their time. And the, it is astonishing to me the way the same credo, the same words, Trump, Donald Trump, to get to Trump, has invented nothing. He is simply exhuming and rebranding older anti-globalist sentiments. When A question about, uh, I want to bring this up to contemporary politics, things that people are reading and seeing now. But Donald Trump in, in recent speeches has talked about uh, Orban in, in Hungary right. as, as being one of, someone really to look out for. Uh, what signal does that send to you, Jacob, about where a second Trump term would go? If Trump is able to execute his intentions, which is always an open question, he, in my view, I, I take Trump literally and seriously. I'm not one of those people who thinks he's joking around or that he's a clueless mediocrity. I think he wants retribution, and I think he wants to install, radically revise the American government and create it in his own image. And I think if you look at what the Heritage Foundation is saying, and I, was a, I traveled to Budapest for CPAC last year in the spring, Look at what people are saying. They worship. They don't just like Viktor Orban. They worship him. And what has Orban done? He has cracked down on independent media. He has handed over businesses to his cronies. And he is essentially promoting family values. And I think everything that you see right now, Trump would take to a new extreme. But Okay, so, so you're, that's what you're saying. But my problem, Jacob, is that the Atlantic Council... Graphica, the University of Washington, Stanford University, all part of the Election Integrity Partnership, used U.S. DOD cutouts, Michael McFall, and you guys, and and you're a visiting scholar or you're a visiting fellow or something of the Atlantic Council, they suppressed and they delegitimized 22 million tweets on Twitter alone, just on Twitter. That's not what they did on Facebook. So you're part of a structure that is actively censoring um, the free speech of Americans. And I, I know that 
Facebook is not the U.S. government and the First Amendment applies to the government and not to Facebook. I understand. I understand. But you're part of the problem. All right. Let's let him respond. Yeah. First of all, I don't deal with any of these issues. My understanding it is that it's a total canard and you're getting into conspiratorial thinking. No, I'm not. This Atlantic is this is established let, fact. Let's let him respond. Please go ahead. It's your fact. I don't buy it. <laughs> you might not, but I'm sorry. Okay. okay. Go ahead. Keep going. Go ahead, Jim. Um, I'm not, I'm simply not, qual I'm a foreign policy expert. I have no, I, I know that this is floating out there, but I have no ability to even really comment on this. Well, given your stature, um, you ought well, to know well, what's I, going on and either uh, stand up and say, Robling, no, you're wrong, X, Y, Z, or you should walk away. It's not my job to counter every conservative conspiracy fantasy. Absolutely not. I, I don't, <laughs> you know, you see, I, there, and therein lies the repudiation of the elites. Your, your thing is, I'm not even going to discuss a real issue. And you're upset with Viktor Orban because he cracked down on independent media. Well, what the heck did the Atlantic Council do? And, you know, Paula Dobriansky is a classmate of mine from Georgetown. Okay. This is hair-brained. Last word on this, and then we're going to move on to a different topic. Go ahead. Any last word, Jacob? I, look, I, again, as I say, I'm a foreign policy guy. This is, from, this is some legend that has been out, as far as I know, for years to draw some equivalence between Viktor Orban, who is widely recognized and established an illiberal democracy in Hungary, and some fantasy about the Atlantic Council. It's just preposterous. All right, let, let me ask this question. Another issue that is out there right now that's being dealt with by the American people, by Congress, and that is what's happening in Ukraine and what's happening in Israel and what's also happening at our southern border. Let's first of all take a look at uh, Ukraine. Where does Ukraine fit into this discussion that we're having this evening about what we're close to dictators? Because you have Putin, and yet you have some people who think that Zelensky is a dictator or could easily become a dictator. So I want to get I want to get that to a contemporary discussion about uh, about where we are with uh, with Ukraine. Where where would you place us right now, uh, Jacob? Well. I, I don't see uh, Volodymyr Zelensky as a dictator. I, I, on February 24th, 2022, we know that Ru this is the second anniversary of a unjustified Russian invasion of Ukraine, which they, which they depict as a nest of Nazis. And I, th I think we have a, both a moral and a strategic obligation to help the Ukrainians fight for themselves. I don't think that we should be sending American troops. I think we should, in tandem with Europe, allow them to fight for their own freedom. And we will, we will, I want to be back with uh, Chris's response to that. And also, again, uh, as part of this American political debate, the Republican primary, I mean, you have a difference between the internationalists and uh, the isolationists. And uh, some people think that we should just say, the hell with Ukraine. I want to get reaction when we come back. In the new video series, Fault Lines, Professor Vody Bonkham examines the threat of woke social doctrine versus biblical justice. The religion of anti-racism has no redemption. We have to be right about what God requires in this critical moment. Discover the fault lines beneath today's cultural divide. What God are you trying to appease? 
Fault Lines, the 10-part video series and essential six-part study guide. Available at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Feel like you're trying to push a boulder uphill wearing skates? If you run or manage a local business today, you're challenged like never before. We get it, and we want to help. We're Salem Surround. We're a full-service marketing agency that'll help you increase your customer base by designing incredibly effective plans to reach your consumers day, night, and everywhere they might be. If you're a local business and want to see what Salem Surround can do for you, visit SurroundChicago.com. Remember to visit SurroundChicago.com today. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont, we're back in Chicago. And again, a question uh, for you, Chris Probably Before the break, I'd asked the question uh, about Ukraine. Uh, obviously, that is one of the major battles in the Republican primary these days. Uh, a lot of senators don't want to provide them with support. They don't want to provide Israel with support. And everything has got to go back to uh, supporting uh, the border issues first. So where do you put the importance of the United States continuing to support Ukraine? I'd say it's about the top of our list. I'd say it's more important. It's it's right up there. It's probably the very top of our list. I agree with what Jacob said. I, I think my characterization would be that, as usual, the government has failed the people and the taxpayers by not knowing where the money went. I think I don't think that that's, to use Jacob's term, a right-wing conspiracy theory. I think that that's an actual fact that is impeding um, the strategic objective to which Jacob points. And, um, and we damn well ought to get some kind of accountability and accounting for the money that has gone. 
But the fact is, uh, we have no higher, there's no higher priority today than supporting the Ukraine. And it is very disappointing. So very are, the, are, the Republicans making, are the Republicans making a big mistake in the House by tying this to the southern border? I, I don't know if they're making a mistake in the House. I think that the, the point here has to be that we can do th- several things at once, even though we're $35 trillion in debt. Okay. And 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 we we've got to protect the border, and we've got to assist Ukraine in defending itself. Jacob, uh, your reaction to Ukraine and where this fits into your narrative? Well, I see eye to eye with Chris on this, and I have no problem with more. I don't think there's been widespread evidence of Ukraine misusing the funds, but there's nothing wrong with having uh, tighter oversight over it, and I think that is being proposed. As far as the southern border. Yeah, we need to toughen up on the southern border, but that does not mean that we cannot aid Ukraine. There's right. been this fictitious link that we should, you know, that somehow aiding Ukraine eviscerates our ability to protect our southern border. That's just not true. How do you feel about the recent uh, visit of Tucker Carlson uh, to Russia to interview Vladimir Putin and the general uh, ascension of Tucker Carlson as a member of American media, Jacob? Um, I think it was good for Tucker's visibility. I think it uh, took another dent out of his reputation. First of all, Putin trolled him during the interview, uh, you know, droned on about Russian history back to 962. Tucker, uh, he made fun of him about being rejected by the CIA. But then I think Tucker compounded the trouble by going into this Moscow supermarket and claiming that somehow it's so far superior to American ones. Again, that's exactly the kind of stuff Chris was talking about before, where you have British and American intellectuals traipsing over to the Soviet Union in the 1930s and hailing this as some kind of a worker's paradise. Are there historically... Who were the other leading members of the media that have fed uh, the narrative of uh, that the foreign dictators really aren't so bad? Are you talking about on the left or the right? Because there's Either been one. a lot on the left. Either one. There's been a lot. The New York Times has it. It's interesting. They had uh, Walter Durante in the 1930s who won a Pulitzer Prize, claiming that there was no famine in Ukraine, which was an outright lie. Then they had another correspondent during the Cuban Revolution, named Herbert Matthews, right. who uh, did Fidel Castro as some kind of godsend for the Cubans. The Times actually has a long and shaky history on, on some of this. Now, as far as on the right, you, have, uh, you had H.L. Mencken, who was also not just sympathetic to Kaiser Wilhelm, but very soft on the Nazis and on fascism. He, he called for what he called an intelligent fascism. You had Win- William Randolph Hearst, head of the Hearst Syndicate, right. who actually cut deals with Adolf Hitler. So, you know, it's not like I'm not trying to say that the right is uniquely bad here or something. I mean, it's, again, there's a long history of mendacity on both sides. Well, um, I guess I guess I. I in in the second printing, I hope you put in three or four paragraphs, or maybe if you had them in there, I didn't see them, uh, or maybe two or three pages about how this is uh, endemic to, on both sides. I would I would ask you this, Jacob. Uh, it, it, 
totally. Can I just point out one thing? I did, I did in the introduction talk about the left wing and have the similarities between the two, but not not for ad, not for pages. But I did, right. meant, I did talk about. I, it. I promised to reread the introduction, but but I want to I want to say this. I, to, as a conservative, to me, the touchstone event or one of the touchstone events in the maturation of the movement was Buckley rejecting Ayn Rand and Buckley rejecting anti-Semitism and Buckley kicking both out of the movement out of his sheer force of intellect and ability as a writer. And I, I just want you to know that as a guy who transitioned from liberal Democrat to conservative Republican, that meant a lot more to me. And, and I hope that you're sensitive to that aspect of the history. Definitely. In fact, I mean, I knew uh, Bill Buckley slightly and his son, Chris Buckley, endorsed my book. Um, there is a Buckley had to deal with this again uh, with Pat Buchanan. Right. And Joseph Sobran. Um, and he exiled Joseph Sobran from National Review. Joseph Sobran was actually a brilliantly talented writer who also happened to be pretty much a Holocaust denier. So Buckley gave him the boot. So um, I'm actually, you know, I think there are, there are there are things that Buckley did that are that are not good, and then there are things that he did that were good. I mean, he was a brilliant and extremely charismatic person. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and I I I also knew him, but that doesn't matter. Does that also does does that go to the to the religious movement as well? The uh, the evangelicals. I mean, uh, some of the most uh, vehement anti. Uh, Semites uh, in the or pro Semites are are from the religious right. That is an interesting development. I mean, you're talking about primarily about Israel there and the support right. among evangelicals. Yes, right. that is an interesting. It's huge. I mean, it's it's it goes. I'm sure it goes back further than you know Jerry Falwell, but but I I remember it starting sort of in that that era of American politics. I think, yes. Um, what I, I want to be careful that, you know, when I'm talking about these people, I'm not saying that this is the only tradition in the conservative movement. What I'm saying is it's become more vulnerable to this. There's a piece from NBC today saying that in the past, CPAC has weeded out neo-Nazis. Apparently, at the at the recent meeting this past weekend, they were traipsing around unmolested. It, it, well, the, consider the source, but, uh, you know, we should check that out. And if we've fallen to Justin Trudeau's level, then we know we're in trouble. I want to ask about another name, and uh, it's one that has fascinated me, uh, and that is Charles Lindbergh. How did he get caught up, wrapped up, and how did he get to be uh, such an infamous figure within uh, the uh, the right? Lindbergh is a, is a difficult figure. He still has his defenders today, some people who say he was more of an innocent than a, than a malevolent person. Um, you know, he accepted a medal from uh, from the from Nazis from Goering, the head of the Luftwaffe. He went very far in a September 1941 speech in Des Moines, Iowa, in which he said that uh, it's in which he said, among others, that it was the Jewish who were dragging us into World War II. He was the head of the America First Committee, which was established in September 1940 and had about 800,000 members. Mm -hmm. America First has become 
and it began as a somewhat idealistic organization, but quickly went to the pretty far right and is synonymous. You know, Lindbergh said, well, we should name Great Britain because they're doomed. He had Baroque racial theories that he never gave up. In fact, I found this his uh, writings in the early 70s where he said, you know, the problem with World War II was that we lost the best of the white men. We'll never recover from the loss of genetic material in World War II. He thought, you know, we should have remained neutral or allowed the Nazis to defeat the Soviets. So Lindbergh is, is a real flashpoint. And the first figure on the right who, who was a really a national figure and managed to... Uh, Attract a passionate nationwide following. Mm -hmm. I, I, um, and was was he was he on his was he on the road also to becoming possibly a Republican presidential nomination nominee? Wasn't that part of his, his later years? I, I don't know. I, I'm not so sure. But okay. but I want to say this. I, I, I don't think that Lindbergh after World War II, he I think he essentially withdrew. I mean, he was a pretty reclusive guy. Well, after the um, after the and, kidnapping and the yeah. murder of his child, yeah. Yes. yes. So, I so, mean, the, the whole plunge into politics was is in some ways an aberration. Um, you're finding that Lindbergh quote was truly impressive. I've never seen it before, and I and I appreciate that. But that brings me to another the, the last book that I read before I read yours was Bernie Taupin. You know, he's the lyricist for Elton John. And he wrote, mm -hmm. a, he wrote a book called Scattershot, which is basically his memoir of being kind of a, a, a rock and roll star mm -hmm. as, a, as, a, as a lyricist, not as a performer, I guess. Um, huge book, lots of notes, no index. And your book, here your book is from Norton, and I love these books, and there's no index. What happened? <laughs> we have to pause. We'll, 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 <laughs> they had to save the pages. Save the pages. I'm Bruce Dumont back shortly. One more segment, and we've got a caller coming in from California. We'll turn to her when we come back. Like you're trying to push a boulder uphill wearing skates? If you run or manage a local business today, you're challenged like never before. We get it, and we want to help. We're Salem Surround. We're a full-service marketing agency that'll help you increase your customer base by designing incredibly effective plans to reach your consumers day, night, and everywhere they might be. If you're a local business and want to see what Salem Surround can do for you, visit surroundchicago.com. Remember to visit surroundchicago.com today. Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. <laughs> Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. 
I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and the title of the book we're talking about in this hour is America Last. Uh, Jacob Heilbrunn is the author. He joins us tonight from Washington, D.C., and it's called The Rights, Century-Long Romance with Foreign Dictators. And uh, <laughs> Chris is holding up a copy of the book. We can now do that digitally. We can do it all kinds of ways, but uh, J- Jacob knows we're holding up the book. We got it. We got it. Uh, let's go to Let's go to Joy. She's listening to us in San Diego, California. Go ahead, Joy. You're on the air. Um, oh, just one quick statement is that um, not all um, progressive radio is garbage. So <laughs> That was from the last hour. Okay, that's all right. All that progressive garbage. But anyway, I hope I can articulate my question. But um, So I'm on the Democratic progressive side, but I listen to the right-wing radio station. And I noticed that after um, Trump said something about that, if if countries, NATO countries aren't paying their 3%, I think, um, that 2%. Russia was 2%. Yeah. Um, uh, that Russia was, you know, he could, they could go, Russia could go ahead and, and take them over. Right. And just soon after that, Dan Bongino started bringing out kind of the Russian hoax and how that was all a democratic plot. And then the man was found, their informant was found guilty of lying to the FBI. Mm-hmm. And they, he was not found know, guilty. Oh, please, with, no. he, he was indicted. Come on, please. Guilty. Oh, excuse please me. Please uphold he was a little bit of due process, <laughs> even though you're a liberal. Go okay, ahead. So go ahead. Okay. So, so go ahead. Okay, get, I'm get sorry. Question. Wrong words. That's okay. And so my question is, is was Ben Bongino and the others trying to kind of, in some ways, bring this all up again to cover um, Trump 
saying that so it didn't seem like Trump had this very cozy relationship with Russia. I don't. I I don't know. I can't put my. Uh, yeah. I can't get inside Dan Bongino's. Uh, you know, head. And who but, would want to? Yeah. But but here, here's the question. And obviously the media just they overreact as they frequently do. But Donald Trump, he was setting the, the, the rules for what it's going to be like if he gets elected. When he says, hey, put your 2% up or, you know, you may be SOL. I mean, he, he means it. He didn't say SOL, but he talked about Russia and everybody goes nuts. Do, did you see it that way, Jacob? Or did you uh, do you take him uh, at every single word he says? Oh, no, I think he's serious. Um, I think. No, he's that, serious, uh, but, but, but that's his, that's his strategy. You take him seriously, uh, but not yeah. literally. Yeah. No, I do take st- Trump literally. Let's, let's be fair to him. In 1990, he okay. gave an interview with Playboy in which he enunciated many of these same themes. He's been very consistent. He is not a fan of NATO. Right. He's not a fan of foreign alliances. Now, this is not a, a position that is unprecedented in American history. Right. In fact, we have George Washington warned us against entangling alliances. Trump wants to go back to a pre-two world war system, which America does not have these alliances in either Asia or in Europe. I think he wants an independent United States and more of a fortress America. It's I- not isolation. But unilateralist. I th- I do you think? Let, let me let me ask this question, Jacob. Do you think the American people are ready for that? Obviously, this is coming up in in the course of of a presidential election. Maybe he's not talking as as clearly as you or others would like him to be. But do you do you think that the American people are up for it? Is those those that are voting for him do they? Do you think they know about that and they like that idea or are they being bamboozled by Donald Trump? No, I don't think they're being bamboozled. I think there's a a constituency in the American public that saw that the elites that Chris was talking about before took us into war in Iraq and it was a disastrous war. I don't think Donald Trump would have become president in 2016 absent a Iraq war, the George W. Bush administration essentially delivered a body blow in the Republican Party to the idea of intervention abroad. So I think Trump's position has solid backing on among his followers. Yeah, I think that the great crisis that Trump represents to the Republican Party, to the country and, and to the West and to the world at large is his absolute inability to think through the 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 evolved structure of international relations. He's in deep water, and he ain't no Henry Kissinger, nor is he a Richard Milhouse Nixon. And he doesn't have the intellectual discipline to come up with a new general theory. And so he says things that I understand there's a guy on a bar stool outside of, as you say, Pittsburgh or outside of Chicago who says, damn right, if if uh, some country doesn't pay its 2%, they're not in the club anymore. To hell with them. Well, okay, leaders, that's a populist sentiment. Leaders are supposed to foresee as well as to see. And as a guy who's supposed to foresee, Trump Trump hasn't given us an architecture 
um, no, because, because beyond he, what you just described. Because he, he knows that rhetoric plays well. He, exactly. He he, he is, has a visceral sense of what the it, it, masses will go for. It's like every time he says something uh, that the mainstream media might find outrageous, right. he knows every knock is a boost. It's only going to raise his, 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 his popularity. On that note, we are out of time. Jacob Heilbrunn, thank you very much for being with us. America Last is the name of the book. Uh, it's available on Amazon. And uh, Chris Roebling, uh, he read the book, even though he thinks you should, maybe should change the title. Chris Roebling, thank you very much for being with us as well. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks to Fritz Goldman for his assistance in the production of this program. We should mention that we're here, in case this is the first time you've ever heard this program, we are here every Sunday night on America's great radio stations, as well as YouTube and Facebook Live. And all you got to do is, if you miss the show on radio, all you got to do is go to the Internet and look up beyondthebeltway.com. This program will be there for a long time. A long time until you can go back and look to early shows, you'll see Chris Roebling maybe with a little hair. And maybe with me with a little hair as well. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks to Fritz Coleman. Good night from Chicago. Mm-hmm.